All right, there will be bourbon. We have an extended form tonight. Christina Wong, who have you or who you have seen many times before with me on the banter discussions, but also from her probably what prestigious award-winning defense reporting work, I'm assuming. Yes. Yes. Yes, I actually won an award. <laughs> Did you? What'd you win? It was the um Society of Professional Journalists Award. It was for breaking news. It was Ooh. during the Navy Yard shooting. Uh, that, God, this was oh. maybe 20, was it 2013, I think? Remember there was a- a uh, Yeah, I remember it. Computer, uh, like, I think it was like some sort of HR specialist. And he, he went in and started shooting up the place. And uh, yeah, and I remember I was getting into, um, like a zip car to go, oh, I was supposed to speak at a panel at Dinfos or something like that. Mm. Uh, Dinfos is the public affairs school for um, civilians, defense civilians and, and um, military PAOs. And I was on my way to go to Maryland to sit on a panel and then this broke. And um, I remember I, I, I said, you know what, I better, I better cancel. I started making calls to the Navy. Um, Navy's pretty good with their public affairs. So they gave me like a ton of information, actually led to an award. So I am technically, officially an award-winning journalist. <laughs> She's an award-winning journalist. Award-winning journalist. I'm very well-spoken on this show. <laughs> uh, it's only number two, so. Oh boy. Yeah. Uh, so tonight we shall be fueled by two sourced bourbons, right? So we got this guy right here, Smooth Ambler Old Scout, MGP product from Indiana. I think the distillery themselves is, yeah, they're in West Virginia. Uh, this is the non-age stated one. And then we have the Wathens Single Barrel, which is sourced, uh, but it is Kentucky. What I find funny about this bottle is it's a, a complete clone of Elmer T. Lee. And I don't know if you knew this. Did you know there was a distillery that at least uses Fairfield as its home of base? No. No, me either. Until I saw this. Uh, I've had another one that they had. It was a 10-year. They used to sell. They don't do it anymore. But anyway, Wathen Single Barrel, uh, sourced from Kentucky somewhere. It's tasty. It's great. You should drink it. Um, and if you're not, it's fine because I'm going to. And that's going to fuel this discussion with America's finest defense reporter, award-winning Christina Wong. Before we do that, what I need you guys to do is subscribe, like, do all those things with this podcast on YouTube, do it on Apple, Spotify, wherever it is you listen to these things. iHeartRadio, it's up there. It's all over the place. And then, of course, listen later this week when Christina comes back again on There Will Be Banter. So you have plenty of opportunities to, I don't know, get overwhelmed with how great we are. Is that fair? We're great, right? Greatness. Okay. Christina's modest. I, I can be. Not right now. All right. So a little bit about Christina. As she mentioned, she is a defense reporter, a award, an award-winning defense reporter. So from California, you, you comfortable saying where in the it, in California where you're from? Yeah. <laughs> As I can say it basically. There's a, there's a lot of yeah. There, there's a lot of crazy. So I don't like to like give you know exact information, but yeah, uh, Bay Area, California. Bay Area, California. I mean, there's like a million Christina Wong, so I'm Yeah, well, you are definitely not the one that comes up when you start searching, which is kind of... Oh, you know, I'm not I'm not surprised. Yeah, there's that other one. Um, Google, so you did go to UCLA, right? What yeah. took you to UCLA? I was curious about that. 
Huh. Well, Especially like coming um, from, from this area. So I figured maybe you'd go to another Berkeley, one, Berkeley Stanford, one of those two. Yeah. <laughs> Did you just want to get out well, of the area? I wanted to get out of the area because, you know, I, I, my older sister, she actually went to Berkeley and she kind of wanted to okay. stay near home. And plus I actually had, uh, I would say aspirations of broadcast journalism and yeah. acting. Okay. And I, <laughs> yeah, like everyone in California, <laughs> I did do some theater though. I did like a lot, a lot. I did like, I think like seven or eight plays or so. So I did, I did theater and acting was just way, had an agent in where agents and uh, so I was calling a bunch of agents, just asking them, hey, you know, should I, should I buy these uh, stickers? So you, you can buy these stickers with agents addresses on them mm. and uh so I, I think I called an agency and I'm like you know should I buy these stickers and this agent was like what do you look like and I'm like oh I'm 5'4 I'm Asian you know I have dark hair and he's like and he goes um uh come on in for for a trial or come on in for an audition and I, I know that sounds sketch but so yeah <laughs> you know, I, I've had plenty of sketches. I've seen this on the internet before. Keep going. <laughs> oh, I can tell you. I can tell you about the very sketch episode I had, which was probably like a, I don't know if he was a porn director or wannabe porn director. But anyway, so so I go to this place and it's legit. And he gives me three monologues and he says, uh, prepare these and come back in, I think he said like 15 to 30 minutes. So I'm in the parking lot, I'm in the car, I'm you know trying to memorize them. They're very short monologues. So I come back and uh, start performing them and he starts um, doing some improv and I'm like, you know, in the moment, whatever. And he goes, and then he goes, where have you been my whole life? And that sounds so cheesy, right? So yeah. he goes, yeah, you know, I love to represent you. And he was, he was a legit dude. And I was like, yeah, sure. And as soon as I agreed, he started bombarding my um, voicemails with audition, audition notices, which is what you want, right? right? But so I was a student and I was like, oh, you know, I have class. Um, I've got this test, you know, I can't do it. And I was also kind of flaky. So, um, uh, mm. which is a surprise to you, I'm sure. <laughs> okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was an accident. I missed last week by accident. Okay. Anyway, so um, so he goes. So just after a couple of times of just me not getting back to him because, you know, it just seemed like I, I just took it for granted, right? You know, I went on a couple of auditions and and they're not easy either. So I went on a couple of auditions. Didn't didn't book anything, and I was just you know busy with school and and blowing him off and he goes he calls me he goes um you know this is why I don't work with young people because they're just flaky and he goes you know call me after you're done with school and I got really into um, international relations and foreign policy and journalism and it just seemed like a safer like journalism seemed like a safer path <laughs> to me at that time yeah. so I just didn't 
problem, you know, and plus I gained like 15 pounds, gained like the freshman, you know, 15 slash 20, 30. So <laughs> I kind of like, you know, my, my interest shifted and, and I wanted to just pursue, you know, broadcast journalism and, and it just kind of felt, um, I don't know, in a way like more important, more serious, you know, less shallow and, and, and all that stuff. So, so yeah, I, I went down to pursue broadcast journalism and, and acting. So, okay. Now you get out of, you get out of school, you, you decide you're going to go do the broadcast thing. What led you to DC? How that, how that come to fruition? Because you're not alone. Like there's a ton of people that want to do this and you've obviously been pretty successful in doing it. So what was like the first step for you to get to where you're at now? Huh? So I was um, a researcher on um, Tavis Smiley show. Oh, wow. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. I Tavis Smiley show, but it's a, uh, he's a black host, you know, and it, and mm-hmm. show deals with black issues. Um, and, uh, um, you know, it was a good job. I met my best friend there um, and and met some great people there. But I was just really, it wasn't what I wanted to do. You know, right. if, if broadcast journalism was what I wanted to do, I was, a, I was a researcher on a public affairs show and it was fine, but it was very just not what I wanted to do. So um, I went to, uh, I spent that, I, this was 2006. Uh, actually, I think 2005, I went, oh, sorry, I'm skipping around. It's, it's hard, it's hard to uh, uh, remember everything. So I was also working at ABC News in Los Angeles. Oh, okay. And so I was working at ABC News Los Angeles. And then I went to Tavis Smiley and I was there for two years. And then, um, uh, so I was still working kind of part-time at ABC. So I went out to the DC Bureau, uh, the ABC News DC Bureau, and I sat down, I talked to them about coming to that bureau. And so we did this little mini interview. And so the woman there goes, oh, okay, when can you start? I'm like, oh, in like a year. (laughs) And so she was like, "Uh, okay, you know, you you just wasted my time. But, but, you know, so I I moved to DC, (laughs) Uh, eventually moved to DC. Um, and, uh, before I did, um, I also applied to grad school. So Georgetown, and then I also went to China. So it was kind of like, I like China. to go big. <laughs> China. China. So, yeah. So I, I like to go big and, and that's how I kind of use what I used to do is just like every couple of years I do something like kind of crazy. And, and before I went to China, um, you know, I had, I didn't know anyone there. I didn't, I didn't have any contacts. I didn't uh, actually some of my dad's friends. So he had um, uh, one friend who was doing documentaries or who had done some documentaries in China. So we had um, like lunch in Chinatown, San Francisco. And she says to me, don't go there. It's, it's too hard. It's too hard for someone like you with no contacts, no connections to, you know, deal with the Chinese communist officials. Do not go. Were they talking about for work or you were just trying to go for just a visit just just a visit okay so they felt like that was going to be overwhelming for the christina wong okay <laughs> well and, and also i mean my chinese skills were very bad so we didn't grow yeah. up speaking chinese in the house right. you know so i took some mandarin classes and you know not enough to like 
basics, but I wasn't, you know, fluent. I was barely conversational. So, you know, I was very just stubborn. I mean, I think, I think something that's like a, a constant is just that if you tell me I can't do something, I'm going to go do it. So um, then um, went to China. I spent all summer there uh, teaching oh, really? English and then. Um, so yeah, I was going to ask, well, hold on. So you said you were there teaching English. So do they speak a lot of English there or is it just something that they, they want to learn or was this just a very specified class for someone? Yeah. So this is, um, is this university is there, English or it's after okay. school. And so basically I was teaching, um, rich Chinese parents, children. Ah, and, okay. and so these Chinese kids, they go to school all day. And then after school, they go to English school. So they are in school like eight hours, you know, during the day. And then an additional, I would say like two, three hours in the evening um, on top of their all day at school. And these kids, so I taught, you know, mixed grade uh, kids and um, they were really proficient in English. So you have like eight year olds with like perfect English and, and they speak in a very, um, you know, like defined way. So mm-hmm. you say, what do you want to be when you grow up? And then they'll say, well, first I want to have a good job at a multinational company. Second, I want to have, I want to get married and have kids. And third, you know, I want to buy a house and, and, and have two cars. And finally, you know, and, and, yeah. and go in, in conclusion, and it was Damn, it just, 3.5 paragraph essay is what it is. Speaking <laughs> in essay form. Yeah. And it sort of completely blew me away. You know, that's when I, that's when I thought, okay, yeah, we're, we're pretty screwed if they're English (laughs) and their grammar is better than mine. And it was funny because if you are a Caucasian who's teaching English in China, you get, the school gets to charge the parents more than if you're uh, a non-white person teaching kids. And because you're, you're white, you know, they figure the white person knows how to speak better English than, than yeah. the Asian person. So. <laughs> well, little did they know that you are the Christina Wong from, <laughs> uh, so that, okay. but so they were, you said it was rich kids. So they're obviously raising them to do a specific purpose. And then I guess if their first point of what they want to do is be a part of a multinational company, I think that's pretty obvious. Right. So yeah. It was it was pretty eye opening. So my whole thing was, so I had American rich kids grow up wanting to be. You're in DC. Is there any like, you know, the, the little rich kids there? Are they are they learning Mandarin right now? Maybe or Arabic. <laughs> my or area. I'm yeah, not in the rich area of DC. I'm in like the middle class area. I'm a, is, actually, is, there, is there one of those? There's a middle class area in DC. I, I think we're we're in the nice-ish area, but there's like an area that's like super, super nice. And that's Georgetown. And then slightly yeah. between these, between Georgetown and, and Maryland is like the super, super, super swanky. It's like where, um, I forget what, what the school's called, but that's where like all the dignitaries send their kids. That's where like the Obamas sent their kids. What, what's that? 
No, no, even nicer. He said Duke Ellington. It's even nicer. It's it's some fancy. Ameri- is it American American University? No. No, it's it's a high school. It's like oh, it's a school. Oh, well, Sid- I definitely don't know. It's Sidwell Friends High School, where oh. Malia and Sasha Obama went, and yeah, so it's a super swank. Um, although, good for there them. is some. There's a VIP who lives across the street from us. Um, obviously, no one knows where I live, but right across the street, there are Secret Service guarding a house. Oh yeah. And, yeah, and I have no idea who it is. Go knock on the door. I think the Secret Service would probably stop me. Well, then, then, a- you just, then I don't know. Maybe, hey, who's <laughs> who's in there? See what they say. I mean, you're a reporter. You're supposed to get to the story. What's going on? <laughs> I will. I'll get there. I'm, I'm just building up trust. So you know what you got to do is you 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 just get the address and just mail them something. See what happens. <laughs> Invite them like- to your wedding. <laughs> you go. I thought about bringing over cookies. That might be a good idea. Actually, I can have Aaron. Yeah. Bring over bourbon. I think that's a better idea. You know what I mean? But Cookies is overrated. It, yeah, it could be spoiled or it could be poisoned. Um, <laughs> bourbon, you got to break the seal on it. it. It's good. It's America's spirit, as you know. Okay. All right. So you, you went to China for a cut for the summer. You come back. Did you find you finally moved to DC to ABC or was this somewhere else? I went to ABC. ABC. Yeah, and ABC News. Um, I can talk about ABC because I don't have any kind of like non. Did you? Bump, who was the ABC guy? Was it was it Ted Koppel at the time? Was he still there? Oh, no, it was. Um, it was. Uh, I think um, Peter Jennings. I think he's like the. Oh yeah, that guy. So he died at some point. Um, I don't remember. All all of this is kind of a blur. But uh, Charlie Gibson. I think yeah. maybe the anchor and then it was Diane Sawyer for world news. Um, and then it, now it's like David Muir. I don't, I don't watch TV. I don't, I don't either. News. <laughs> I um, but so in the DC bureau, you don't have, you know, the show world news tonight is ta- and, and good morning America yeah. taped out of New York. Um, right. This week with George Stephanopoulos is taped out of DC. So that was ah, kind of okay. your big show. Is but, that to have access to the Capitol and all those folks, basically? Yeah. Exactly. And I think when George Stephanopoulos became the Good Morning America guy, I think he wanted to do both Good Morning America and this week. So I think I think he might do it from New York. I'm not sure. This was I this happened, I think twenty uh like twelve ish. So I don't know. I have I have no idea what's going on in the company anymore. So, um, you know, uh, as as I shouldn't. So, I mean, it was it was traumatizing. I mean, network news is extreme. It, my experience there was like pretty. I mean, late hours. Really Why is it traumatizing? Why? Because it's just it never ends, or what? I mean, or it's it super hard it's, on you, or. I think the nature of TV news is not for everyone. It's just, well, yeah. it, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> it is just so stressful and it takes so much out of you. I mean, you Different really world, print you know, type of thing. Oh, completely. I mean, first yeah. of all, you have no control over anything. I mean, you are one tiny cog in, in the big machine, you know? Yeah. Um, 
And so the difference with like print journalism is like you are the reporter, you're writing, you're, yeah. you know, you're doing a lot of stuff. You're, you're gathering all information. Um, whereas um, network news, you've got so many people you know, who are working together to put together one little story. So, you know, one little story, you need photos, you need videos, you need, you know, people to talk to and experts and, you know, camera people. And it's, it's like so much work and it's really like a team effort to do anything there. Whereas a reporter, you know, web or, or print reporter, it's just you, you know, you call up your sources, you write your story. It's, it's completely, it's completely different. It's a lot, it's a lot less stress. So, I mean, your experience was, it was, that's how it was, but it, can you look back? Like, when did it get to that point? Do you think like it was always, cause because I, I'm just trying to figure out, like, I, I get, like, the purpose behind it, right? But at the same time, just with the, the evolution of media as a whole, like, look where you work now, obviously, and just how your career path's gone. But, like, let's be honest. I don't know anybody who watches ABC News or, or any network news. <laughs> I don't. Like, I do know, yeah. obviously, people get themselves spun up over their, you know, network anchor of choice whoever that would be, but like the network stuff, I, I get it. There's, these are these massive, like entrenched into society, society and culture, like news organizations, but who's I don't, like, where does that go? I think, have they already kind of peaked? Like, there's no, like, like, you know what I mean? Like the next superstar media person or whatever, like they're probably not coming from ABC news or CBS. Yeah. Or and, like, and I exactly like the biggest and, thing and they I do i think you. at this point is don't net those networks they cover sports like that's there's two things i think I, I hear this point made all the time from colin cowherd so i'll give him a good credit because he says it all the time but the only two things that people <laughs> in america really watch anymore are are live events right and what are those sports and politics that's it there's only two things that people really watch because mm -hmm. even look how tv's evolved right you stream everything yeah. or you binge it all on a weekend like no one really Oh my, it's, it's Thursday at 7 30 PM. I got to watch my show. Like that doesn't happen anymore now. Right. That doesn't, just doesn't happen. So no. I'm just curious, yeah. like, go ahead. I'll, I'll stop speaking for like two seconds. Go ahead. <laughs> no, it, when I was there, it was like, uh, so I'd worked at ABC, I think, you know, pretty much on and off and, and part-time and full-time for a very long time. So you know, um, like eight years, basically. Oh, and really? just during, during that time, I mean, starting from LA to DC, you know, like, uh, cause I first got a paid internship, which was pretty awesome. You know, I got recruited at some job fair. So it was like with the internship, with the, you know, LA bureau to move to DC bureau in total, it was like a long freaking time. Right. So yeah. that's, that's about eight years. And I saw so much change during that time, just so much change in the way people consume media, the way, and it's funny because we're now at the, at the point where I always consumed media. You know, I think that's our generation where, you know, no one has time to sit down and watch the evening news. And so when I was at uh, ABC at the DC Bureau, there was just this sense of, you know, um, the sense of we're on a sinking ship. And there was even that sense in LA, it was like, 
the big fear and I hope there's not some like ABC news lawyer who's gonna like come out of the woodwork and like sue me or something. I don't think I'm disclosing anything like, you know, whatever. I don't think I have any kind of, you know, people in media are so touchy. Anyway, so there was a sense- yeah, they think they're important. <laughs> they're not. Yeah, and that's another reason you know, I'm, I'm just so happy not to. I'm like a non-journalist journalist. Like I, <laughs> I hate people. I, you're, I just actually, think- you're actually normal and you have a personality. <laughs> I try. I mean, I, I, I like uh, just, yeah, I don't, I don't like the whole ego that's in journalism. So, mm. so um, there's just this sense of, of, of a sinking ship. And when I was in um, DC, ABC started downsizing. So it's, it went from like 1200 to like 800, they cut 400 jobs and it from was just the, the news side. Cause I assume they're separate. Right. Okay. I got you. From the news side. And a lot of it was just, I, and I'm just speaking, you know, from what I know, which is like kind of limited. Right. And I think it's, it had to do with like, like mergers and decisions made. Yeah. I was going to say, did Disney already own ABC back then or? They did. did. And so it's usually some decision made by someone on the top and like, it was like the hunger games, you know? So (laughs) does I mean, literally, it was like, okay, every unit has to lose some people. And yeah. it was like, who's that person going to be? You know, because there's so many different units. And it was just like very cutthroat, at least from my perspective. Yeah. Um, and you never knew, like, you know, you what see was that a lot happen. going on right now, though, with oh. ESPN. It yeah. seems like every every year or two, they have another lay- round of these layoffs or but I think they're doing that to themselves. It's because they've decided to inject politics into sports not only wrong sports has always had some sort of political angle that you can tie to it but i think espn has decided and this was probably maybe with their their previous president not so much with the guy now but like they decided to go full-on political but not even that it's just they went full-on political and just one side only Mm. like you can do this just balance the shit out right that's all it's okay to have voices from all sides that makes actual you know entertainment but if you're just going to pee or if you're just going to pander to one side you automatically you know you alienate one portion of your audience that's in my opinion i'm not a business major but i would assume i don't want to isolate potential customers just based on the stuff that i you know put out for consumption right that doesn't seem like a very good business plan you know speaking just in general because i i i don't i don't know it um you know no one ever said anything specifically but it seems like a lot of uh, news outlets make their decisions on future consumers. So I think around like uh, 2010, 2011, 2012, I remember there was a study that said something like, you know, um, minorities are going to be more the majority by, I think it was like 2030 or something. And I, and I started to see more you know, hiring at top levels of certain minorities because they were assumed to be the growing, the next consumer class, you know, Mm. the consumer demographic. So I started, so just working in news for so long, you start to see like very cynically, you know, what decisions are made for what reason, like Mm. maybe they decide to hire an Asian, you know, reporter or Asian anchor or Latina anchor, you know, and then, and then there's, you know, investment in, in this, you know, um, Spanish speaking, you know, cable network. And, and so 
there's there's a lot of and I wonder with the you know all this like woke stuff is it they have to think that oh this is a good decision for us you know people are going to buy more stuff from us you know so I I don't know I mean maybe it's just like free advertising because you know people well I I, I really don't know I don't know if it's or not yeah it's a boomerang though right because we we saw this I think it kind of came to a head with you know, the Kaepernick thing several years ago, which, you know, just to me, like, look, I get it. It's no real mystery, which way I lean, but I also try to pride myself on having some common sense. And I never felt like, you know, until some random sports reporter pointed out that, you know, Colin Kaepernick, if this was like after the second or third week he was doing, it was kneeling during the national anthem, then all of a sudden it became a story, but who cares? There's some dude who doesn't even play who's kneeling on the sideline because of the national anthem. All right, let's find out why he's doing it. Let's ask him. And that's it. Okay, he spoke his reason. He's trying to bring awareness to something. Novel concept, novel, you know, noble cause. Got it. But why that became like this, um, everyone take a stand issue made zero sense to me. Because like, you know, even, you know, my parents fell victim to this. I remember my mom asking me very specifically, like, so what do you think? where are you at on, on this? And I'm like, that's disrespectful to the military. I'm like, how is that disrespectful to the military, mom? Please tell me. Like, I would, I just love to ask, like, fine. If that's how you feel, tell me how well it is, how it just is. Please tell me how, and there's never an answer. Right. And that's both. That's so many issues. It's like, everyone gets spun up emotionally in their knee jerk reaction, or they're feeling like they have to take a stand on something. And we talk about this on the banter thing. It's like, Hey, everything at this point starts out by default. Half of the people are offended, half aren't. And then you got to try and figure out what's going on in the middle. And that was my thing with that. And that kind of pushed a ton of viewers away from uh, uh, the NFL because the NFL was the one to take the most of the brunt early on. And you know, Hey, they're the biggest sport in this country. So that brings a lot of attention to stuff. Then you go back to last year during the pandemic, right. And you had every sport, you know, major sport in America, let's put it that way, having to feel like whether they believe it or not. And that's my thing. I don't think half of them believe that. Mm-hmm. I feel like they're doing it because they feel like they have to. And that, that goes to baseball and the, mm-hmm. the, the NBA, of course, but you see, it is actually having tangible effect on viewership and ratings. Like it right. really is like no one watched the NBA finals last year. Like no yeah. one did like more people watched a, what was it? An American athletic conference, college football game which is you know, my school, University of Central Florida, whatever. more people were watching those things than watching the NBA finals last year. Worst ratings in, in NBA history, I think, for the finals. And whole, yeah, um, so that's kind of where I come out on that thing is that we, we're, we're making political issues out of things that never were before. And it may just be because of the evolution in the way we consume media today. Because everything's, yeah. you know, everything's social media, right? So everyone feels they have to take a stance or... Everyone feels they have to have an opinion on something. Everyone's in a rush to react rather than a rush to be right. As Colin Cowherd for the second reference likes to say all the time. But I think that's true. Like we, we make issues out of things that I don't even think are are that important. And and it gets amplified on social media to be bigger than it is. And like, I always like to point out is, Hey, if if this is so big to you on social media, just go outside. Yeah. Talk to your neighbors, go talk to people outside. Is that how everyone acts to each other or feels? Yeah. And I think something there's there's something larger at work 
that like one of our smart goon buddies like Lockett Lee or Braxton could probably talk. Really, yeah, those you know, guys are way smarter than me. <laughs> yeah, probably me too. So let's see if I can like, articulate it, but it's, you know, I, I there's definitely something that is going on that most of us are just not aware of. And, and so I did a story that was looking into, um, the defund the police movement, right? Yeah, so the, def the defund the police movement actually began in like 2010, right? Really? And, and it began in Oakland. It started as like a Shocking. Occupy. <laughs> <laughs> Occupy Wall right. Street, right? Was it part of that whole shenanigan? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. And, and there is, and I don't, I don't want to sound conspiratorial about this. You're like, oh, but there is a lot of money being poured into or organizers, right? Into these, um, I, I've heard them called like, uh, you know, these, uh, they're, they're like an alphabet soup of organizations, yeah. right? They're very small political activist organizations that all rally around some sort of cause and they're very good at organizing. It's like, you know, not just the ACLU, but all sorts of um, of these um, organizations that are rallying around abolish ICE, defund the police. I mean, these are well, look, we're Oakland, one in the right? What, what's, what's, that? what's Oakland next to? Uh, Berkeley. Yeah, right. Mm. Well, I mean, so <laughs> I won't assume, but he, Andrew Breitbart, did you ever read his book? Uh, I sh probably should say yes, because no, if thought... you didn't, it's fine, but no. So he, <laughs> I, haven't, he I like... haven't read this book. And I, I, I know I, I really want to, I have his book and I need yeah, to read so, this. Well, he goes into this. Thank he talks about the, it's the left's the, the way the left. That's the problem is people think the left isn't they're, they're, they're not smart. They actually are. They're very damn smart and they're very cunning and they play the long game and they've done this. This mm -hmm. is what you're describing right now. He talks about how they took over two things in the, like the 60s and 70s. A, the green movement, which was, you know, environmentalist, that movement. And they took over education, higher education. And that's where you're at right mm -hmm. now. And that's exactly what you're describing. So, mm -hmm. okay, there you go. Yeah. Go ahead. I mean, so 2010, and, and, Occupy and so, Wall Street was a big thing, which was like the nonviolent protest version of, I guess, Antifa and all that silly shit that's going on today. Right? Oh yeah, exactly. Precursor, right? So yeah. you had Occupy Oakland, you had Occupy Wall Street. It was basically, I think, the first time I was ever aware of. I think you even had like Occupy DC, and, oh, and I remember. Like I remember they did this in Orlando. I was living in Orlando at the time, and I remember there's like this little small section on the corner, and we would all walk by, like, "What are you doing? Stop it!" Because <laughs> oh, you know, downtown Orlando's tiny compared to these massive yeah. metropolitan areas you know it was just silly it's like what are you guys doing go, yeah. go back to work or wherever you're at but anyway yep. yeah they they occupied a park um in dc just one park and it was it seemed like oh this is so cool this grassroots organize you know this uh grassroots organization you know uh camping out in this and there was there was like a this person makes food. This person, it was kind of like, yeah, there's like no it, end know? game though. It's the same with it. Like what, what do you do now? Great. You got the park. What are you going to do? Oh, I don't yeah. know. I'm just going to hang out until they tell me I can't anymore, man. Like it's. Yeah. I mean, it was, it seemed like 
cool and fun to that, you know, at first and, and novel. And then it just, and then it got cold and everyone dispersed, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, as soon as it got cold, it was like gone. Yeah. Or like, a and you know what else, what it gave way to though? What, what came after Occupy Wall Street? Do you remember? Tea Party movement. Yeah, exactly. So I'm just curious there. if there's another oh, like, point, like a 2.0 coming because everything's pendulum, right? In this country, everything swings one way or the other. Like, you know, there was that rush to react to Trump. It's the same reaction to Biden right now. Like this stuff is swings back and forth. Maybe it's swinging back quicker because there was always very cyclical with elections. And I feel like we're going to get into that. And I, I think I've already discussed this before with us is that, you know, it used to be like, all right, we'll give each party eight years. I don't think people are doing that anymore. It's like, hey, we don't like what you're doing in four. You're gone. And, and that's I at every branch, like not just not just the president. I think that's the Senate, you know, their six year term or the Congress. Hey, like you got one term, get it right or you're gone. Yeah. And, and, and that kind of goes back to what you were saying. I mean, so I think we were we all saw social web 1.0 was like a complete bust. Yeah. It was like, ooh, AOL, you know, we can instant message each other. And then it like completely imploded. Right. And it was uh, uh I think my dad had just missed it because I think he was like, oh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to learn how to fix computers or something. And it was uh -huh. like yeah. before the programming wave. Right. And then it's like, everyone wanted to be a programmer. And then, and then it just um, went, you know, uh, it, it just flopped. And then you had web 2.0, which was, you saw the advent of YouTube and, and um, you know, all these like cool Twitter and like all these cool social media yeah. um, apps that suddenly gave people the ability to speak out and organize and, and get together and all that stuff. And um, yeah, so um, it, it, it really, uh, uh, I think, fueled this, this organizer type uh, energy, I guess you would say, you know, and, and I think it's sort of being um of course it's being manipulated by by big yeah. tech you know and and so i think there's whatever's lost in consumership has to be made up some other way whether it's it's big money you know i i haven't drawn like the you know the the, the connections or, or the thread but it's like you know these these small organizing groups um so just going back to my 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 story, you have this move movement in 2010, and then around I think it's 2015, you have um, this. I think it's it was this young black. Uh, it was a group of of. It was like um, I forget what it's called, but it was a. Uh, it was like BYP 500 or something. It was it was sort of the whole group is to help young African-Americans organize. Um, uh, and, and so at, around that time, the defund the police movement really took off. That kind of became, um, you know, I think their, their uh, you know, their rallying cry. And, and then you saw them link up with abolish ICE folks. So you've got defund the police and abolish ICE, which basically lead to the same thing, which is to right. dismantle, you know, any kind of these the very law enforcement, essentially. Exactly, right. law enforcement. And you even had, um, you even had protests where the two came together. I think this was, I think this was in Chicago or something. 
Um, and too bad they don't have, well, no, I do have my, my cell phone right here. I could probably look it up. Um, but yeah. <laughs> this is not, uh, you know, 2000 anymore, but, um, so yeah, you actually had, um, uh, dual protests where you had some people doing, um, you know, abolish ICE and defund the police in the same rally. And, and so, um, so I think what we're seeing is, you know, it's, it's it's it could be a bet it could be a bet by corporations like you know what we might lose these people but we're gonna gain these people this is the future i think that's a dumb bet for a for a corporation because like whether we feel one way or the other towards an issue Mm -hmm. at the very core of it there's such a small percentage of people who are going to actually take place or take take part in any of these types of you know demonstrations or destructive behavior and all because that's unfortunately what we're seeing we're not seeing you know the peaceful protest we're seeing the opposite we're seeing the actual uh the riot as you call you know martin luther king talked about riots being the voice of the unheard right well if that's what we're going to do i find it really hard to believe that you're going to get your point across and create some you know lasting social change by burning down a fucking 99 cent store, right? Like burning down the, the neighborhood dollar store. Like, I don't see how that is what is going to be somehow beneficial to your cause. And that's my issue right now. And, you know, if all goes well, we're going to talk to Julio Rosas, Rosas, Rosas next. <laughs> can't even say his name. We're going to talk to him next week who likes to chase these riots. He's like a storm chaser, but he's a riot chaser. I'm a double that. Hopefully he runs with it. But anyway, so the reason I bring all that up is uh, it kind of goes back to what you're saying is you know, it's coming. Okay. Like it's, it's very early in 2021, but you know, people are getting back into the street. People are being able to go open up their, their States and all like this stuff is not stopping. You already see it picking up this last week with the, the, the shooting of that, that, that guy up in uh, um Minnesota, you know, the, 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 the Chauvin trial is going to wrap up any minute now. Um, this stuff is there's, there's shootings going on. Unfortunately, it seems like every week again. So this stuff's not over. It's not going to stop. And uh, unfortunately we're going to see more of it. But my problem with it is, is like, to what end is your cause? What is the point? Okay. Look, I got it. Okay. I have a real issue with, law enforcement looking like special operators. I got it. We've talked about this at nauseum. I don't, I don't like the militarization of the police. I never will. I don't think that's what they're supposed to look like in terms of being members of their community. You're supposed to be members of your community. You're supposed to look and represent them. Uh, they shouldn't feel like they're at war with their police force, right? Grant, you can do a lot of things with police and, and help them uh, react and interact with their community better. Start with not making them look like they're, you know, going to war with terrorists in, in Iraq or Afghanistan. Aside from that, when you, this whole like defund the police thing is like, oh, let's replace them with mental health people and all this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good luck with that. Great. Yeah. Good luck with it. It's essentially, uh, you know, and and four years ago, I would have thought that some of this was crazy, but it is essentially dismantling any kind of, um, you know, uh, sort of quickly. It's, it's what? It's moved pretty quickly on, you know. It's moved extremely quickly, yeah. So th- that, uh, the organization in 2015 that was called the Black Youth Project. Okay, um, there you go. It was actually 
founded by University of Chicago professor. So a bunch of uh, crazy radicals over in a University of Chicago. Um, yeah, so I can uh, link this story, but it was amazing that, you know, you kind of go through this whole, I mean, defund the police had been around for like 10 years before it blew up. So it's like building, you know, building the backbone, building, putting the structures in place for this giant explosion that we're seeing. And so I would think that the Colin Kaepernick thing was part of the wave. It was part of a movement that was already brewing, you know, it wasn't like came out of nowhere. And I, and I think, you know, it really just relies on people being cowed. It really relies yeah. on people not saying anything because most of people you and I know are probably just you know, reasonable, moderate right. people, but no one wants to be labeled a racist, you know? And yeah. I mean, it, it's, be, it's becoming- and then The problem is if once you are, it's like you're on it, you have to, you're, 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 it's almost like you have the burden to defend yourself over what? Exactly. Someone accusing you of something that is, you know, to not be true. I mean, it's almost too much trouble. So I, I got in the yep. lift one time and there was this uh, white guy with beanie and his little like North face, like puffy jacket. And he was listening to like NPR and he was like, why can't the National Guard just shoot the Trump protesters? And I was like, oh my God. Like, this isn't all, fucking South America and some third world shithole <laughs> where the, the, the military doesn't give a fuck or it doesn't represent the actual people. That's why you, you yeah, know, that's what I would have said. Yeah, that's what, um, but of course, I want to have our own soldiers shooting Americans. That's a great plan. Good idea there, Lyft driver guy. And like, there's no people say this shit yeah. out loud. Yeah, it's like it doesn't make any sense. It, it, and 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 so you have to sort of be proactive because it's so popular. And you know, Matt Gates, who's under fire right now, but he he was on a couple of clubhouse chats and he was like, you know, it's hard. It's hard for conservatives to 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 speak openly it's hard for them to say like i'm a republican in any kind of social setting i, I guess i'm speaking mostly in like big cities like you know yeah. dc or or you know california the big cities in california but it's it, it it is just i mean you, there's so many people who are you know, they don't have strong opinions but they're not going they're going to let the narrative sort of be uh, taken over by the left because they just don't want to fight because it's just too much trouble. They just want to, you know, work and raise your kids and go home at the end of the yeah, day. You and know what? And I, I think, you know, you, you mentioned Braxton earlier in the show. We're, we're talking about Braxton McCoy for those who don't know who the man is. He's been on this show with me. He's got his own podcast and show going on right now. That I encourage you to listen to, but he talks about this all the time with people on the right. And I don't care if you're on the right. I don't care if you're on the left. The problem is, is the left is not afraid to fight and constantly push or be in lockstep with an idea. The right in America is the exact opposite as Christina just described. They don't want to fight. They don't want to do anything. They don't want to do anything to upset the, the status quo. They just want to kind of go along to get along. And the problem is if that's how you feel, then fine. Just be aware and cognizant of the fact that the, the outcome of that strategy and anything, not just with, you know, political ideology or, or cultural or any of that stuff is if the more you allow an opposition to get away with or do their idea and push their agenda, eventually you don't have anything left. It's just all it's it is. True. All that is, is that. And I think, what, what was it? Um, 
this is Jesse Kelly put this out and I, I don't listen to a lot of Jesse Kelly. Like he's, he's a little, he's a little much for me, <laughs> but I mean, I, I get what he's doing. It's just, it's just not my thing. Um, but he, he did point out, um, what was this meeting recently of a hundred companies? Oh, yeah. Like exactly to, to, like, to, to come together on a response to a state's vote. Like we have a constitution for a reason and you as a company shouldn't have any involvement in that. And if your headquarters are in a state, you probably set up in that state for a reason. I'm going to guess it's probably benefits you financially. You know, and and it's, I want to say, and this is that I, I don't have actual like statistics, but I think these are all the same people because um, probably, you know, uh, <laughs> a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of Obama folks went to Facebook and, and Twitter. A lot yeah. of them did. A lot of them went. I mean, it was kind of going from one powerful institution to the next. And there are a ton of Obama alumni in all these tech companies and ton of uh, Capitol Hill Democratic, uh, you know, alumni also um, working for Twitter and Facebook and their um, policy, you know, offices in DC. So there's so much, um, I don't know what the word is, like uh, interconnectedness. And, and so these people are like one in the same, you know, it is surprising though, that you have corporations involved, but uh, you know, I mean, not social media. So I separate social media with, with like, um, you know, Nike or whatever. I don't know if Nike was part of the group, but you know, some, some sort of corporation, you know, it used to be, like you said, that you would focus on, you know, their bottom line and, and profits, but you know, now it's just like, they're throwing all in with the woke side. Um, and I think that they could very well be the same. You know, they, everyone, every company has, um, you know, diversity, uh, equality and inclusion person, and it could very well have been someone who worked in policy in Washington. So, you know, they're, they're all this, it seems like they're all the same kind of people. And it's a, it's a very class-based thing. It's a very coastal elite type, yeah. type, they all know each other. Um, and you know it's it's uh, it's kind of an incestuous uh, group, and you know they've decided that they're the masters of the world, right? And um, I think who was it that just I think maybe it was Peter Thiel, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, the tech entrepreneur. He said, and this was very enlightening for me. Um, he said at a, uh, Reg, uh, Nixon seminar at the Richard Nixon foundation, they have these, um, monthly talks. He said that a lot of these tech companies, they don't see themselves as American, even though they're American companies. He said, uh, for example, um, when Hong Kong democracy protests, uh, were cropping up, he said that there were some, um, you know, that were sympathetic for towards the, the Hong Kongers, you know, for, for yeah. protesting against China and, and, the, and the Communist Chinese Party. But there were more Chinese nationals in Facebook, I think it was Facebook, that's a, that didn't want to weigh in. So there ended up be, being nothing, you know, there was no statement, there was no uproar, there was no nothing, there was nothing coming out of Facebook because of the Chinese nationals that work there. And, and so you have, um, you know, it seems like a lot of, whether it's corporations or big tech, there's a lot of throwing your lot in with, you know, whatever you see is going to be profitable in the future. And maybe they see wokeism because that's where the money is going. So 
there's a lot that can judge me, but, but it's just, so, you know, so, I mean, it's happened, like you said, at an extremely fast pace. And I think we just weren't attention to the groundwork was being laid, you know, and now it's just, you know, you've got a cowed population and public, you've got an empowered woke, you know, woke class empowered by big tech and um, corporations, and they're just going for it, you know, and then you've right now you've got, you know, Democrats control the White House and, and Congress. And I think, you know, if you're if you're right that, you know, there the pendulum swings, maybe, you know, we'll see a swing back. Who knows? Yeah, it always does. Uh, and you brought up a guy that we always know as well, you know, Lafayette Lee on Twitter. Um, but no, he wrote something earlier, or he at least brought attention to something earlier, which kind of ties into what you're saying is it's like, um, I'm going to quote this because it's from a, an actual scientific journal. And it's uh, it quotes <laughs> that the near total failure of the, the median voter, you know, the average American voter, uh, they have basically a minuscule near zero statistically non-significant impact impact on public policy. So to put that into the average speak is like the average voter, we vote, you know, we go to the polls every two years, every four years for whatever. Uh, you don't really affect anything. And it gets to another side where it talks about interest groups do have substantial impact on public policy and a few groups uh, talking about the economic elites are the ones who have the true influence on public policy. All right. That's an actual scientific journal. These are actual people doing studies on voting and policy in America and what they're pointing out. And this is peer reviewed and accepted is that, Hey, we tell everybody to go out and vote every couple of years, but you don't really have any impact on what's actually getting done. And I'm not saying this as any, I don't care what party you, you, you know, ascribe to or, vote for but think about it really right watch your actual your reps what do they actually say or do they actually speak on behalf of their constituency or do they just speak on behalf of the capital letter that's next to their name all right and I, <laughs> yeah. all right christina so check it out yes. you've done a lot of cool shit. what's like what's your most memorable experience as a, a defense reporter like what's the one trip you were like oh that's fucking awesome i'm gonna remember that shit what was hmm. it hmm. 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 afghanistan was pretty awesome because i was there for a month completely disconnected from work just doing my thing collecting info like every reporter's dream that was awesome uh Gitmo was interesting, but <laughs> you went to Gitmo. What was that like? I went to Gitmo three times. Three. Yeah. Damn. I mean, it's just very inconvenient. Like you live in freezing cold tents, uh, mostly because <laughs> the other reporter had to keep it like very freezing cold at night. But then the the bathrooms are like a, a walk away if you want to go to like the you know the bathrooms that are in a little container versus like the communal bathrooms where you have like a little canvas that goes to your lap and that's it so I would always like get ready and then hold it and then go to the the one where you like walk into the little container you know with like a handle and it's all nice and air conditioned and clean so that was like 30 minutes at least 
So that was kind of a pain in the butt. And then it always seemed like there was nothing but Subway to eat. So that, that, that really yeah, sucked. That's a big problem. Um, I was in the, per the Persian Gulf and that was pretty cool. So I, I went on like three different destroyers. So I went on American oh, destroyer, two uh, British destroyer, Australian destroyer. That was pretty awesome. Uh, and I got really sick um, on the Australian cause there was like a, some kind of storm. I thought it was, I thought we were gonna die. Um, I would say probably the the Afghan one was so awesome because I, I got to fly around with Afghan pilots doing like drills. I also thought I was gonna die too. I thought we were going say, down. <laughs> it was putting a lot of trust into these these Afghan pilots. Um, at one point I really thought we were going down and I thought we were gonna be um, I forgot what you call those those dudes that are like crisscrossing in their motorcycles on the desert floor. Um, they just sort of pick up like the shells and, and, but I, so I was like, yep, we're going down and, and we're going to, we're going to get killed. But you know, that didn't happen. Actually, after I left, <laughs> the guys that I did fly with actually did get ambushed. Oh, damn. Shot. So, but they all were recognized for that. Um, been to Asia a bunch for some reason they keep sending me to Asia not is it because you know, you're the Asian? defense department <laughs> I think so I've never been invited to uh Israel you know which I, I really <laughs> want to go to um which is annoying you know it's like send me to Israel or yeah I've, I've been to Saudi Arabia but like kind of like more really? on my own. Saudi Arabia how was that um, it was, I think it was just a passing through on a trip with Mattis. So it was like a Middle oh, East okay. trip, the Bahrain and Saudi Arabia. And like, we even touched down in Pakistan, but we were, oh, Pakistan. Oh my God. That was freaking cool. So this was not a, a defense. This was, this was not a Pentagon trip. This was a okay, go Pakistan, <laughs> Pakistan embassy invited me to go on this like week long trip. It's kind of like what they call, you know, junket. and that's like, they bring a reporter, they kind of show them around the country. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they introduce you to like business leaders and officials and experts and kind of give you an introduction to what the country's like. So that was pretty fascinating. I went to the border between Afghanistan and Pakistan where they're building a fence. So they're building this long fence. I don't know what the status is of, of the fence, but it's this long fence to keep out, um, supposedly to keep out um, like terrorists or uh, from filtering from Pakistan into Afghanistan and, and vice versa, actually. Uh, so you can't, theoretically, you can't attack you know, U.S. troops in Afghanistan and, and just like uh, melt into Pakistan. But um, there was a sense that the fence is kind of for show, but, you know, it's, 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 uh, I guess it's show of the Pakistan, you know, Pakistan is trying to do this to um, assuage the U.S. So, so Pakistan was, was pretty freaking cool. We went to some border gates uh, along the border again, you know, rode in some helicopters with some, I think it was like the best Pakistan pilots in the military went to some bases in the hills. And you really get a sense of like, um, just how poor the country is. I mean, there, yeah. there's also parts that are extremely rich. Um, like uh, Islamabad was, was pretty developed, but uh, I think Karachi, oh man, that was yeah, Karachi. That's, and that's the main port where we get everything yeah. in and out. 
yeah, gorgeous. And then you have, we went to the port of Gwadar and it's funny because China essentially owns that port. They co, I think they, they, they lease it um, from, from the Pakistanis. And so, I mean, you've got like a Chinese company running the port and you've got a bunch of Chinese workers, you've got a Chinese food restaurant. And, you know, if you want to talk about like the like a maybe a good strategic reason to be in Afghanistan it's because China's moving all into Afghan uh, Pakistan they're building the Silk Road through yeah. Pakistan and it's so that they can get closer to the natural resources in the Middle East so right uh, if you uh, the port of Gwadar is not too far away from the the Persian Gulf you know the the I think it's like the Sea of Oman or something or the or um, it's like the bottom of the Persian Gulf. So it's like, if you have a land road from China through Pakistan all the way down to the Persian Gulf, it makes it a lot easier and you're not uh, as vulnerable to like some sort of US blockade or something, you know? So maybe, so I've seen people argue, you know, some, some experts say, oh, we need to stay in Afghanistan because China and Pakistan and all that stuff. I don't know how, you know, um, valid that is but but that was a pretty cool trip um oh and uh, being in Quetta that was scary as hell so we were in like these armored SUVs and you're just surrounded by dudes carrying these giant guns and they're all like covered up you don't see any women there are no women out it's just men it's like a ton of men and they all look angry, you know, I, that's not to be like, you know, I don't want to generalize, but I mean, it's really freaking hot too. So it's like, if I were out there, you know, just sort of going through the desert or the you know, underdeveloped area, I'd be pretty angry too. Mm. But that was scary because you don't know who's who. Um, there, we had a reporter, there was a reporter on the trip who was, didn't want to go. I, I don't remember what happened to him, but he was like, I really don't want to go to Quetta. I think I'm just going to go home. I'm not going to, you know, go on this part of the trip because he literally thought he was going to be kidnapped and, and die. And I know my bosses were really worried about that too. But there's a part of me that's like, if I die, I want to die doing something cool. You know, if I'm, if I die in a helicopter, <laughs> knock on wood, you know, then at least I did some, I went out doing what I love. I think that's pretty cool that you actually have that spirit. Um, and I, it's not to discount other reporters because I feel like every reporter who involves themselves in some level of danger has something, right? I can kind of respect it, whether it's may not be my uh, outlet of choice, but I can, I can respect that. So now I want to kind of let, let the close it out, bring it full circle before we get out of here. Something that's a little bit more serious, something I can't, uh, I, I'll never understand or experience, but something that has been going on in this country and unfortunately in this state where I'm at in California. Um, but where, what is your view or how do you feel about the recent, uh, it's not even an uptick. It's like an, it's, it's just a full on, like the displays of violence toward not just Asian Americans in this country, but it's, it seems to be like a lot of it's targeted towards older Asians. Where do you, where, how does that make you feel? Where do you come out on it? Have you ex experienced any negative behavior towards you? Like what is, what is your take on that? Um, yeah, I think a lot of the violence against Asians, uh, especially elderly Asians, 
So, I mean, yeah, we all know there was like a uh, salon, you know, like one of those, like, I don't even know, like massage parlors that was shot yep. up. There were, I think, three <laughs> massage parlors that were shot up in Georgia. Mm. Okay, you know, and yes, there are, um, you know, other instances of violence like that, that are like, um, you know, spectacular um, attacks. But like, for the most parts, I think they're economic crimes, you know. I, I think you do see, I so a large part of the crimes that I think are happening are due to just the COVID shutdowns is making people, first of all, I think it's like a perfect storm. There's fewer police on the street for whatever reason, maybe, um, you know, less money, uh, uh, lower budgets for police. Um, because of the, you know, upheaval last summer, the whole, you know, Black Lives Matter to fund the police movement. So I think you have fewer police out and about. Um, then you have the pandemic that's really hurting people, um, hurting a lot of people who worked in maybe hospitality, you know, um, working in restaurants, you know, kind of like, um, you know, hourly workers. So I think there's that. So you have like a propensity for crime, fewer police, vulnerable Asian pop, you know, yeah. a vulnerable Asian community. And it's no, it's, it's no secret. Asians are seen as more vulnerable across the board. I mean, like no matter what age. And so like when I first got to DC, I was harassed all the time. And not even just when I got to DC, when I was in LA, when I was in Northern California, I've been harassed my whole life, right, by by people. And it's because now I'm going on my little rant, but my theory is because they look, people look at me, they see Asian woman, you know, mm -hmm. they don't know what I've done, they don't know who I am, they don't know what I think, they don't know I'll fight back, they don't know I'll yell back, whatever. They just see small-ish Asian woman and they think easy target. They, and then also the mainstream like uh, entertainment media, the way they portray Asian woman, women too, or just Asians in general, they're either nerdy or they're, you know, prostitutes or whatever. And it's like this, there is a huge sort of like um, portrayal of, of Asians as foreigners. It's always like, oh, the uh, exchange student from Japan or something, right? right. And, and then, you know, making fun of Asian accents is, oh, it's so funny, right? And so I'm not saying I get offended by that, but this is just something that's been uniform throughout my life, right? So when I look at these attacks against Asians and people say, oh, it's because of the Kung flu, because you know, Trump said yeah. uh, the, 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 the coronavirus came from China. It's like, you know, he said that maybe last year and, and it did come from China, right? right. Well, what about all the other experiences in my whole life where people yeah, have said say, not exactly the Trump constituency carrying this stuff yeah. out? <laughs> yeah, and there and there's that. So that makes me extremely angry because it's the faux caring. It's like crocodile tears over like, oh, let's help these poor, you know, Asians because of this white supremacist racism or Trump racism. It's like, no, this has been around for a very long time. I think that there's higher violence because there's because of the economic situation, because of fewer police and a vulnerable population. So I think it's this very bad mixture. And, and there might be also some of the whole like a media effect where if you highlight it, it'll happen more because you do see some crazies just be like, go home to China and like kick, kick people, you know, kick. There was like this Filipino woman that like 
or I think she was Filipino. Um, you know, this guy broke her rib. This there was a video circulating where this woman was coming home from like church or something, and this guy comes up to her and kicks her, breaks her rib, and the hotel workers just close the door. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh god, <laughs> I've I, I I haven't been that because that goes back to what I said earlier. Is like we're in this voyeur culture where we just fucking take our phones out rather than just fucking helping. Yeah. Like that irks the shit out of me. Like that's a fucking elderly woman that is getting beaten. And your whole, your reaction as a security officer is to close the fucking door. Right. And yeah. And I've, and I tweeted about this and, you know, it's like, I don't like, and, and, you know, I don't like putting a lot, a lot of uh, private personal information out, but, you know, um, I would say, I think it was like around 2013, I was violently mugged in DC when I was walking home. So this was like, way before Trump, right? <laughs> and, um, you know, it was at, it was at night, late at night, and it was, and DC is changing very quickly, right? So you have, like, some areas that are, like, not, you know, it's very, uh, I hate the word, but gentrifying, but, yep. like, no, that's during, true. Like, Real word. yeah, during my time in DC, things have, like, completely changed. So I'm, I'm walking alone by myself at night, and, this kid comes up to me he goes hey and i'm like oh, god you know yet another guy trying to harass me you know because it happened all the freaking time when i first got here to dc yeah. so i'm like just ignored him and that was probably the worst thing to do because he, he said again he said hey and then he reaches over and he grabs my phone with both his hands and i'm still holding on to it so he tries to yank it out of my hand he starts you know and i i trip and so he starts like dragging me and I start screaming that, you know, I'm help. I start screaming for help. And um, I have my purse and I, I, I threw my purse on the ground towards these three dudes walking towards us. And I said, grab my purse. You know, I was just, you know, struggling with this guy and, and, and yelling for help. And this guy says, you know, I'm going to shoot you. And he's like, trying to get the phone from me. And yeah, it's a, it's a phone, it's a stupid phone, but still I was like, I can take this guy, he's not that big. So he starts digging his, his, his um, nails into my, my knuckles and it's like, okay, the phone's like slipping out of my hands and he finally gets away and he's, and uh, the, most, the, the most upsetting thing, and, and some people were, because I, I, I mentioned this on Twitter, some people, uh everyone's got a yeah. fucking opinion on twitter <laughs> exactly the most upsetting thing was not of course the attack was very upsetting right it was it was it was very violating and it made me you know angry and everything but it was upsetting because there were three dudes that were just nearby walking towards us who stopped they literally were walking and they stopped and they stopped and they watched and they were young guys and they're just like, and they, they look pretty sizable too, right? They, they weren't like small, weak dudes. They were like, you know, kind of like- um, Mentally weak. <laughs> yeah. And as far as like their style, I mean, they were kind of like preppy dudes, you know, I don't know much about them, but they, they were just these preppy dudes that were much bigger than me, certainly probably around like, you know- Small heart syndrome. Yeah, five eight, five ten, maybe even six six foot, and there were three of them, and they they just stopped and they watched, 
and I had never felt so like helpless and and violated again by no one caring, no one saying anything, no one stepping in, no one, no one just saying stop, not even grabbing my purse, which actually had a money order in there for like, I think it was like my rent, you know, which was like 850 at the time. Like if only he had like taken my purse, you know, um, and a cop after and this, this other dude, he comes running from across the street and he comes over and he, I, he, he was like, Oh, you're shaking, you know, calm down, you know? And I appreciated that so much because it was like someone cares enough to help you, you know, even though he got there too late, it was like, and, and so the cops came, um, and, and the woman, it was a female cop. And she said that women are more likely to intervene when they see something. They're more yeah, likely to try to help. I think, I and think she women, was, women are very loud in this country. And it's, it works. <laughs> Sometimes it works. <laughs> it works. Yeah. No, that's, you know, because yeah. that bothers me about what the three you described. And it goes back to this fucking voyeur culture we're in. It's like everyone, you know, it's not a numerical, like, inferiority position where I was like, oh, there's three of us. There's like 10 of them. You know, nobody do it. Like, mm -hmm. there's three of them. There's one dude who's like, assaulting you and, and to doing this act that they're witnessing and their, yeah. their, uh, their, their action is to sit and watch. Now, I don't know what their conscious sits with them today. I don't know what they think, but I'm sorry. I just wasn't raised that way. I just, that's not who I am. That's not my makeup. Um, I would rather get my ass beat by someone who's trying to hurt someone else than just, you know, well, I sure wish I would have just helped out, you know, you know what I mean? Um, but that's me. Um, and no, I, I, I do appreciate you sharing that because it, it ties into some cultural things that you've described, especially how a, a lot of Asian women specifically are portrayed in media and Hollywood or, or whatever. Um, yeah, I think there, yeah, yeah. I think you'd really have to soul search to find instances of strong characters or whatever, but I will say from what I've always experienced is I feel as if. I mean, there's a huge history, you know, this, you grew up in the Bay area, like, you know, the history of Asians in that region. Um, but my experience with, 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 with Asian Americans is that like literally they're the hardest working people who just assimilate, they just, they just work hard. They put their head down and they want to do what's best for themselves and their family. Like the, the most unassuming, I think, ethnic group in this country who just, they work hard, they start businesses and they contribute the economy they do the exact opposite of what we don't want they want they do literally everything that we expect people coming to this country to do right mm -hmm. work yeah. hard put your head down start a business you know give back to your community all those things and, and it just it, it it makes me sad because of all the you know just yeah. i've i've in in addition to yourself i have several asian friends and it just breaks my heart to know that at some point they may experience this uh discrimination yeah. um and I don't, and that's why, that's why I just appreciate you sharing the story because I don't know what it is you experienced to this day or, or what's mm -hmm. going on now in 2021. And obviously you shared something from your, your personal history, but shit like that, it just bothers me. It really does because I, I'm long past the point in this country where I wish we would just stop playing the identity politics bullshit and just be fucking Americans. And that's it. Me too. And that's how I was raised, you know, in, 
East Bay, you know, I shouldn't pinpoint even further, but East Bay, California, where exactly where I grew up and just from my parents' upbringing of us and just the friends I had, all different races, race was never yep. an issue. Exactly. And there's going to be someone out there who's like, oh, you're racist for saying you don't see race, but you know, <laughs> there's always one, like I said, whatever. And I, I wish, you know, that's the thing I love about the military is that they're so diverse and it wasn't mm. an issue. But now it's like, it's always, you know, at least from my perspective, it's like race is everything and nowadays. And so I will just try to keep on calling it out. And it's, it's hard. It's hard to call it out. But, you know, I, I will keep on doing it. As you should. We're going to leave it there. We're going to pick this up. Not on this topic, but we'll, we'll see Christina again on Friday, hopefully, as long as no one has a, uh, you know, date with their godson like last week but <laughs> but anyway that's christina wong you see her all the time with her uh defense reporting and from the pentagon and other uh outlets so please follow her um christina wong on twitter uh what is it on instagram uh, so on instagram it's christina wong i think it's just at christina wong and then on twitter it's it's at Christina underscore Wong. Well, there you go. So that's where you can find Christina. You can find her on Instagram doing all the leg tucks, which we didn't even get into. <laughs> Great. Um, so she's gotten very strong over the last year and makes effort. It's wonderful. You can watch it. You can track it. Uh, but then again, if you are, yeah, look at that gun right there. Gun show out, license, of course, in case you're checking on those things. But if you are watching and you've made it to this point, which I assume you have, uh, you should follow and like this show. You should uh, give leave a rating. Do all those things on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, like I said. Uh, subscribe and look for us next week with most likely Mr. Julio Rosas reporting live. It's riot season, ladies and gentlemen in America, and Julio's there. So, Christina, once again, thank you for joining me, and I'll see you soon. Thank you for having me on. Okay, you're welcome. Goodbye.